Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard, and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain. But we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. So welcome back to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Um, This is Lori back again without Kate. Um, We thought that it might be helpful to address a question that we imagine is on everyone's minds, which would be, if we have concluded that it is difficult, if not impossible, to, with complete certainty, identify who is safe and who is not, then how exactly do we manage to keep our children safe? That's a pretty big question. Um, uh, the answer that we would like to have is that perhaps we could educate ourselves on what it is are the risk factors we're looking for. That is certainly an aspect of keeping our children safe. Um, certainly part of the answer to that is we keep our children's world fairly small. Um, we are careful about who they're spending time with without, um, our own presence or supervision. Certainly when our children are very small, the time period when they don't yet have words or the ability to kind of conceptualize somebody doing something bad to them, um, we certainly keep their world especially small at that point because they would not have the ability to even tell us if something happened. Um, But I think we all understand we can't keep our kids in a bubble forever. So that really isn't the whole answer. That can't be the final answer because they do, in fact, grow up and go out into the world. So then what do we do with that? Um, So actually, the real answer is the only way to keep our children safe from people who would do them harm is to equip our children with the skills and um, relationships to keep themselves safe. And that is a very, very sad and scary reality. But it is in fact true. Even people who are trained to spot someone who is a predator, um, they're just not obvious. And so therefore, we really need our children to have the ability to use their voice to help themselves to be able to be safe. I think we've developed as a society to a place where most children are getting the, what I call the no-go-tell message, right? So most children between being in school and with their trusted adults are getting the message, listen, if someone is doing something to you that doesn't feel good or doesn't feel right, you should, with a loud and assertive voice, say no, and you should go quickly to a trusted adult and you should tell. No-go-tell. So really, most children are getting that message. Um, However, that message is frankly only as good as a child's sense of empowerment to use that message to then in fact say no and go and tell. Um, And so the bottom line really is that 
the factor that makes the most significant difference in whether or not children will, in fact, be able to assert themselves to protect themselves and whether they will not has to do with them having power and voice. If we really think that through, as parents, we do all want our children to have power and voice and to use their voice. Um, the problem is we want them to use it on everyone else but us. We kind of find that amusing, but it's actually true. We want our kids to use their power and voice if they're being bullied. We want our kids to use their power and voice when they are approaching adolescence and we want them to say no to drugs or um, not do the myriad of things that we worry that they will do. We certainly want them to use their power and voice then. However, what we fail to recognize is that that's not something that kids just wake up one day and go, oh, right, now it's time. Now I'm allowed to use my power and voice. Oh, and by the way, I have a perfectly honed set of skills as to when and how to use my power and voice when it's appropriate and when it is not and how to do it politely, respectfully, kindly, um, with self-control. Kids don't just wake up one day and have that ability. Like every other skill that we want our children to have, it is a skill that begins, the training ground for that begins when they're very, very young. And there are many, many ways that we give kids opportunities to practice using their power and voice that begin when they're very small. It comes down to things like, um, are we being attuned to how we're playing with them so that we are reading the signals, even in their infancy, we're reading the signals about when they're ready to play and when they're ready to stop playing. Um, are we reading their signals as their toddlers and giving them opportunity to um, have some choices about how they live? You know, do they walk or do they ride? I mean, certainly I understand that once you let a toddler or preschooler decide that they're going to walk, they're going to want to walk every time. Um, and that can be difficult. But those small things do, in fact, give small children opportunities to practice using power and voice. What are you going to have for lunch? Giving them some freedom of choice in those regards certainly also gives them opportunity to use power and voice. Are you going to pick out their clothes all the time? Or are there going to be sometimes when if they really want to wear leopard prints and stripes, uh, they can do that with their, by the way, red sparkly click click shoes, as my kids would, my daughter would say. Um, can we let them do that? Can we tolerate that? That is and seems like a small thing, but it is an opportunity to give them power and voice. Um, are we able to give them the opportunity to say, no, thank you, mom. I'd rather not have broccoli today. Could I have carrots, please? Polite, for sure. I'm not suggesting permissive parenting, although maybe it sounds that way to some ears. Um, I am not suggesting that if a child comes to us and says, please, may I have jello instead of broccoli? Yeah, that's a hard no. We're going to have to like go back to the drawing board, kiddo, pick a different vegetable. You don't have to have broccoli, but yeah, jello is just not an option. Sure, I'm certainly not talking about um, them using their voice to get whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, I have three adult children and I'm quite certain that they would tell you that I was not a permissive parent. My husband and I certainly did raise them to have power and voice um, and Frankly, we were willing to accept the messiness that came with them using their power and voice. Um, but they would say that, you know, they did not get away with disrespect. Uh, in fact, they now as adults 
will sometimes comment, gosh, mom, I was in the grocery store (laughs) and there was a kid there. Wow. All I could think was there is no shot we would have gotten away with that. Um, So I'm certainly not suggesting that we let kids be bratty. Um, We do need to be strong leaders. We do need to provide structure. We all understand that children thrive best when there is structure in place. The way I sort of think of it is if the ship is going down, there are two lifeboats and one lifeboat is being led by someone who is confident and um, providing direction and is creating structure, giving everyone a job. Uh, And the other lifeboat is being led by someone who is not leading actually, who is kind of wringing their hands and uncertain and, or just hanging out and not providing any direction. Yeah, I'm getting in the first lifeboat. I want to be led by someone who knows what they're doing. I understand, I think we all understand, children need structure. They thrive best in structure, and that is important. But that is not the same thing. We can provide structure while also giving children power and voice. Of course, one of the struggles that goes with giving our children power and voice is, um, yeah, that can be quite messy, right? Um, They're in training, and they're not going to do it well out the gate. We understand that. And so, yeah, there probably will be some embarrassing moments, some difficult times when kids don't use their power and voice all that effectively um, or uh, inappropriately. And that can be problematic. Um, Certainly, I will say there were absolutely times when I would be out with my children and they would be using their power and voice, but not in ways that people around us found pleasant and certainly not in ways that I condoned. Um, And we would correct those things. We would direct those things. We would give a new way to our children to use their power and voice. Um, But yet we ultimately determined, and I'm here to encourage folks to really embrace the idea that if we are really asking ourselves, how do we keep our children safe? We have to be willing to sit in the messiness of their their fledgling attempts to figure out how to use their power and voice well, so that they will be in a position where they will have had the repeating experience of coming to us in whatever messy way they do with their thoughts, feelings, needs, wishes, wants, whatever that is, and that we will give them a hearing. Um, That does not mean that we will give them everything that they want. That does not mean that we won't ask them to try again with a better tone of voice or different words or, um, or try a different question. Um, We certainly may redirect how that goes, but that doesn't mean that we won't give them a hearing. And I mean a full hearing. I mean, setting aside, if necessary, putting aside the dishes, turning off dinner for a minute, stopping scrolling our phone, if we're honest with ourselves, and really give our kids our full attention so that they can fully experience the fact that they matter and their voice matters and they will be heard in the small things. So if they can't come to us and say, please, mom, may I have carrots instead of broccoli, and we won't give that a hearing, then why would they be willing to risk something that is far more threatening and scary, such as something happened, dad, the other day that made me feel kind of icky and creepy, and I don't really know what to do about it, and I don't know exactly what happened, and I'm afraid I'm going to be in trouble because the person told me that if I told, you would blame me and I would get punished, and I'm really scared. 
Don't we want our kids to come to us with that? If they get shut down when they ask a simple, can I have carrots instead of broccoli? Or because they come to us with tears because they don't really want to stop playing to go take a bath. If they get shut down in that moment and told that they're being disrespectful, they will be more frightened to come to us with the messy stuff like somebody did something bad to me. Please remember that when someone abuses a child, most of the time there is some kind of threat involved of what will happen if they tell. That's how they keep kids quiet. They will say, you'll be in trouble, or I won't be your friend anymore, or everyone will know what a bad kid you are, or fill in the blank, will hurt your family. There are all kinds of threats that are used, but please know that there is a threat. So children are afraid. And if we don't actively give them the experience over and over and over again of power and voice where it is appropriate with structure, with love, with emotional connection, if we don't give them that opportunity repeatedly, then the risk is that when it comes down to it, they will not feel safe enough to come to us with their need. So don't we really want to be the first call our kids make, whether it's they had a fender bender or they broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend or they failed a test and they're upset about it. We want them to feel safe enough to come to us with their mess. And that means that we have to enter into that mess with them. One of the ways that I think sometimes we very inadvertently communicate to our kids that we are not really prepared to fully enter into their mess with them is um, when we either too quickly leap to problem solving. So I call it the 80-20 rule, 80% empathy, then and only then followed by 20% boundaries or logic or reasoning, whatever. You know, I think we all understand that if I'm talking about something that's upsetting and the person I'm talking to tries to too quickly solve my problem. I feel not heard and I'm likely to shut down. Well, that works with kids too. So holding on to that 80-20 rule, again, signals to a child that their voice matters, their voice, their emotional self voice also, as well as just, you know, talking about whatever specific thing. Um, I think we also inadvertently signal some of that to kids when we use timeout, perhaps not quite in the right way. Timeout is very helpful when children need an opportunity to um, just take some space, right? When it's done in a way that says, hey, honey, I can see that you're having a hard time. I'm here. When you're ready to talk, that's great. But, you know, it looks like you could use a little bit of a breath time. Completely fine. When our child is, however, losing it, essentially, and we send them to timeout, the inadvertent message can be, okay, well, you're obviously having a problem right now and I don't want to be around you when you're having a problem. And so you go over there, put your problem back in the box, make it a little neater and then come back and then we can talk about this. Um, I know that that is not the intention of anyone who is listening to me. I am very aware that the people who are listening to me care deeply about children and the desire is to help them grow and develop and have orderly lives and learn how to manage their emotions. 
Absolutely. I'm all with you. And I'm not saying that timeout is never a good idea. I am saying, though, that we need to be mindful of whether or not we are using it at times where bringing a child in closer for relationship would be a more effective strategy than sending them to timeout. And that bringing them in closer for relationship would say to them, hey, you know what? Your voice matters to me. And I really do want to hear what's going on with you, even when it's messy. So that if something happens that is messy, Again, they are well aware that they can come to us with that. So thinking about all the little things, right? It's the little things that give children a sense of power and voice, but also the opportunity to practice their power and voice. It's things like when you go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician says, so do you eat out fast food more than whatever they ask two times a week? Um, Let your child answer that question. Even if they answer it inaccurately, And even if they answer it accurately, and you wish they wouldn't, um, we have to give them the space to answer that. And sometimes it's giving them a chance to process enough to come up with an answer, right? So sometimes grandma will say, hey, how's soccer going? Um, And kids take a little bit of time to process. And sometimes it's hard because we tend to jump in with an answer. I get it. You know, we're trying to be helpful, keep the conversation flowing, help our kid figure that out. Um, But that's another time where if we can just breathe, maybe... Or even say to our child, hey, why don't you tell grandma about the goal you made the other day? It, again, helps kids to have that chance to practice using their voice for themselves, answering for themselves. Um, It also, for us, is about really carving out time to listen well, like set aside, really set aside that time and energy to be able to do that. So carving out time to really listen to our kids means being able to listen to what's being said as well as what's not being said. So again, back to that 80-20 rule, making a point of listening to the emotion, even if it seems out of proportion, as well as sort of the facts of what's happening. Um, Trying not to judge or evaluate sometimes, you know, at first when kids are talking about stuff. So sure, we want to redirect sometimes. We want to offer perspective. We want to provide suggestions. But again, trying not to lead with that. Um, Giving them opportunity to make choices for themselves. Again, back to the carrots versus broccoli. You really want to wear stripes and leopard print and a tutu and click-click shoes to the grocery store. You got it, kiddo. That's great, right? Not all the time. It's not always appropriate, but giving them opportunity at times to do that, even if it's uncomfortable for us. Helping them to explore and express their own thoughts and feelings about this stuff. Very important. Um, Making space for their feelings without minimizing, even when it seems like something that is maybe over the top. Um, If they're upset because they lost a game or something happened in Roblox that they're not happy about, sometimes it can be hard when we're worrying about things like paying bills or listening to a very difficult podcast. It sometimes can be hard to sort of sit in that with them, but that's part of giving them power and voice. Um, Giving them leadership opportunity very important. So giving them an opportunity sometimes to kind of um, direct some things. What I used to say to my kids is your request has been duly noted um, was sort of my shorthand way of saying I have heard you and your voice and it matters to me. And now as the parent, I will make the final conclusion. Um, That's fine. Kids, we need kids to know that we're the ones deciding, but we do want them to know that their voice matters. Um, The idea of secrets is kind of a funny one. Um, I know, uh, you know, I totally get it. Sometimes like I can see it. Grandparents are like, hey, I know your mom said no ice cream tonight, but come on, I got some chocolate ice cream in the freezer. Let's go. Just don't tell her. Um, I get what is behind that. And there is nothing 
negative behind that. It's part of the beautiful thing about being the grandparent. However, inadvertently, what that says to a child is that secrets are okay. It can seem like secrets are no big deal, right? Like we keep happy birthday secrets. We keep like we're going someplace special kind of secrets. And yes, over time, we can help our children to make the distinction between those kinds of good secrets and the bad kind of secrets we don't want them to keep. Um, But when kids are young, they're not really good at distinguishing the difference between the good and bad secrets. So we're actually just safer staying away from secrets, period. Um, so the other, I guess, piece that we can think about is that sometimes kids will come to us with a question. Um, and sometimes it's big questions like what happens if, when someone dies, you know, certainly during COVID, there's been a lot of conversations, more conversations than there had been in the past about end of life. So kids can come to us with a question like what happens when someone dies? And we're inclined as the adults to answer the question because they asked us. Um, And sometimes part of giving our kids that deep-seated sense of having voice means listening to what's not being said as much as what is being said. So a child asks the question, maybe what happens when someone dies? Maybe what they're trying to say without being able to really say it is, I'm kind of scared about what happens. What if I get COVID? And what if I die? And what if you die? And what if, what if, what if, what if? So sometimes kids are talking about the feeling, only they don't really know quite how to bring that up or they don't even have the words for it. So being able to hear the emotion perhaps behind that. So part of the 80-20 is, okay, so I can answer that question and I should answer that question. Um, but first I should go after the emotion that might be behind it. Um, and sometimes we need to assure, I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to tell you what we believe about what happens after we die. Um, but first let's talk about maybe how it feels to think about dying and other people dying. That's part of giving them voice. Um one of the other things that we sometimes inadvertently do is that in our attempt to help children um, learn how to manage their feelings well, we end up giving them consequences for not being good at it yet. So if a child is having a meltdown, if a child is having uh, a whiny time or whatever it is that is going on, um, in those situations, sometimes what's happening is a child is having a big feeling that they don't quite know how to do the right things with, or they don't quite have the muscle built up yet for this moment, or maybe in this particular time, maybe they are hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's the HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Um, just kind of um, an opportunity for us to stop and think about, like, is there some fundamental need that needs to be met here that would give my child a little bit of a leg up in handling this stuff? Um That message that we sometimes give kids of, we want you to do the right thing the first time with a happy heart, um, that's not giving them power and voice. What we're really looking for here is, how about I don't want to, but I will anyway. Um, And maybe not with the happiest of heart, but that's okay, right? Authentic emotion is allowed. Again, I'm not saying, I don't want to. I'm not saying yelling. I'm not saying endless whining. I'm not saying, but it's okay for a child to say, oh, mom, I don't want to. (sighs) but I'll do it anyway. Okay. That's not disrespectful. That's authentic. Um, We really want to be going for authentic here. So we talked a little bit before about how sometimes time out can be sort of uh, misused for lack of a better word. But so the alternative sometimes can be time in. So if a child needs to kind of catch their breath, it's okay to have them sit nearby where if they're willing, we can 
put a hand on a shoulder or even give a cuddle while they calm themselves. Um, that it feels permissive, but what it really says is I can be present with you while you're calming yourself down. And by the way, in a healthy attached child, our presence is a very calming factor. No, we don't want them to always depend on us to be the calming factor, but that is really something that we need to embrace. It's wonderful if our child is uh, calmed by being near us. That is part of what now leads them to make us their first call when something goes wrong. So being aware that that is a way that we can give kids a chance to calm themselves, but bringing them in closer. Um, so I hope all of that gives um, us all an opportunity to think about, maybe engage in conversations with one another about this concept of giving children power and voice and where are some of the places that we could give them power and voice right now where we're not. Um, and kind of recognizing that that really is the fundamental thing that makes the difference between a child who comes to an adult for help when they need it and a child who holds a secret that is now damaging to them. So thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.